Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It's time for another episode of the Gagan Pod as we welcome the UEFA Euro 2020 qualifiers onto Optusport for the first time this week. Football truly never stops. David Weiner with you for another fun-filled podcast, joined by Luke Wilkshire once again. How are you, mate? G'day, mate. Great. Yourself? You're buzzing, aren't you? I'm great, thanks. You're buzzing after another big win with the, with the Wolves this weekend? Yeah, we're in some good form, two from two. Brilliant stuff. Now, now people are worried about Liverpool fans' health. I'm worried about Leeds fans' health, particularly my... Colleague to the right, Richard Bayless. How are you holding up? I'm all right. It's been four days. Um, I haven't cried for about two, so we're okay. It's not yet over, Dave. Eight games to go. Very good. Uh, really, how are you feeling about it? It's amazing how it just turns one game to the next. If we'd have won that one over Sheffield United, you'd say five points were home and host. But um, yeah, not great. A couple of years ago, we actually beat Brighton two nil in the run in, and we were in a position to be in the playoffs. Then we slipped out, and Brighton went up. It's such a weird league, and not an enjoyable one unless your uh, team's not in it. So, um, not overly confident this week, but it could all change after the next game. So tense, so tense. Mel McLaughlin's back. How are you? I'm well. So actually, I'm a bit nervous now, and I don't even support Leeds. But Rich, you've made me feel a bit worried for you. But, um, <laughs> oh, thanks, Mel. But I'm good. We've been having fun, so can't complain. Absolutely. As Manchester United supporter, how are the feelings? Mixed emotions, Dave, but uh, one step at a time, one day at a time, all that stuff. It's the life of a football fan. <laughs> Guys, we've got we've come off the back of a couple of massive weeks of Champions League and Premier League, but it's a little bit of a breather this week. Well, not really. Six straight days of live UEFA 2020 qualifying is on Optus Sports starting on Friday. And there's actually a fair bit to talk about with some high-profile squads coming about and everyone gunning for these positions. England's Gareth Southgate, they've got uh, Czech Republic and Montenegro over the next couple of days and a couple of withdrawals from the squad, but a very good, good-looking squad as well, Rich. Yeah, it is. There's a lot of youth in there and you know a lot of players that are out injured, but also a lot of guys not picked. I think Southgate's really tried to turn to youth. and I mean, Callum Hudson-Odoi coming in is a really good example of someone that's been at a at a top four club or a top six club, we should say, with Chelsea, and uh, he's done really well. Shot. Sorry, David. He's done really well, obviously, in the Europa League, and he has a lot of talent, and I think over the coming years, there'll be a lot of reliance on players like him because Chelsea aren't allowed to sign anybody at the moment, but it's good to see these guys coming in and being given an opportunity, not just... Uh, for the attacking players, but right across, you know, the back as well. You've got Chilwell, Keane, Tarkovsky, guys that, you know, have been around for a little while but necessar- haven't necessarily played the amount of games. And it shows that Southgate is quite happy to, I don't know if experiment's the word because most of these guys have earned their place, but he wants to see who does the business and who's suited to this level. And let's face it, they're not going to have a really difficult time. England famously are really good in qualifying yeah. for, for these tournaments. And Czech Republic they're having a really sort of weird time of it at the moment themselves. So England won't have too much of an issue, so it's a good platform to actually have a bit of a crack with some young players. But they're actually a good-looking team. Um, like, yeah, well, I mean in terms of talent. You know, and jostling for positions, you've got Harry Kane, you've got Yadon Sancho, you've got Marcus Rashford, among Yadon. others. Yadon. Yadon. Yeah. He hasn't Yadon. been in Germany I that long. That's what happens when you move to Borussia Dortmund. <laughs> <laughs> and no room for James Madison as well. So they're actually a particularly exciting prospect. 
They're, they are exciting. And uh, one thing I've noticed is a lot of footage coming out of um, training within the England camp, and they are having so much fun. You mentioned Yaden, Jaden Sancho. Yaden, that is Yadin. No, it's, bizarre. It's that forevermore. Um, but no, and he's just been carving up and, you know, getting a little bit cheeky, and, and the teammates are just loving it. It's just, you just see that that great, terrific uh, atmosphere, I guess, that started with Gareth Southgate last year when he sort of got things together. It continues on, and bringing in more youth can only be a positive thing, and now, now's the time, really. Yeah, well, an interesting sign to that actually is Kieran Trippier's been kept in the team despite having a difficult season since the World Cup. So he's actually made someone like Aaron Wan-Bissaka earn his stripes a little bit harder. He wasn't picked as well, but that team seems like classic Gareth Southgate in actually backing Trippier after you know the, his contribution during the World Cup and then probably struggling for Spurs since. But I just want to play uh, an impression from Ireland boss Mick McCarthy of his assessment of the England side. I look at uh, an England team that was much lauded in the World Cup and they pretty much got through to the semi-finals on free kicks and corners. And it's important both, one to score from them and the other one to defend them. So that's Mick McCarthy. Uh, on the same breath, Harry Redknapp overnight said that he tips an England World Cup within, win within the next eight years. So realistically, where is this squad at? I think they've got a bit of everything. I, I mean, you look at that youth and the energy and obviously set pieces. Everyone knows how important set pieces are in the modern game and... You know, you can look at that and say they, they got to a semi-final of a World Cup through set pieces, which is fairly fairly true. Um, but that's what can, can be the difference and, and win games. You mentioned set pieces as well. James Ward-Prowse coming in from Southampton. He's got an amazing free kick on him. And he's a good example of someone that's – he's not overly young. I think he's only got one cap. But, you know, he's 24. He's earned his place. There are players in form in this squad. But going back to Mick, he's clearly annoyed – about Declan Rice, because Declan Rice has been named in this squad. Is he Irish? Is he English? It's a bit of a tug of war between the two. He's been given awards by the Irish FA, trying to tempt him to play in green. But obviously McCarthy's not going to be happy because Rice has chosen England. He's in the England squad, picked by Southgate, has earned that from West Ham. So, you know, there's a bit of prize to that. Just awarded the, uh, what you're talking about, Rich Republic of Ireland, Young Player of the Year, which has got to hurt. But what McCarthy's saying is not groundbreaking. We all know that's how they got there. And they, no one expected them. Well, most people didn't expect England to get that far. But you can't, you can't deny the success uh, in getting there. But also, they had some pretty decent results against Croatia and Spain as well since then. Well, there's a team on the up. I'm actually really excited to see them on Optus Sport and actually watch their progress over the next few years, see whether they can break the shackles there. A couple of other teams looking to rebuild include Italy, and they've also gone for youth. Roberto Mancini has picked uh, Nicolo Zaniolo and Moses Keane, and he's actually said he really wants to give them a run. And at the same time, Spain... Uh, Luis Enrique is actually experimenting a fair bit as well. No Isco, no Coque, no uh, Tiago Alcantara, no Saul. Um, so, I mean, when you're sport for choice, you can really do what you like. But I wonder which team is the one to watch or the one that's under the most pressure coming into this qualifying series because um, gener- there's pretty safe passage for the big guns, but there's still a fair bit at stake. I think Germany has to be, you know, given their form in the Nations League, let alone the World Cup, they're in a period of transition. They've got rid of some older blokes and the way they've gone about that as well, Luke, has been pretty controversial. So in a group with the Netherlands, you know, they on paper have the toughest task of the big guns. I completely agree with you there. And I think the way that, that Lowe's gone about that with some uh, some experienced players who I think deserve better when you, when you look at it, they've gone and won World Cups and what they've done for their nation, for him to pretty much dump them out like that on the doorstep I think is is pretty harsh I think you know it's it's all well and good you got to change the guard at some point but I think there's a way you can go about it and I think personally you know if, if he sat down with them and, and explained look I'm not going to select you he could say that bluntly to them behind closed doors I'm not going to select you you're done can we find a way around it to make it look 
obviously better yeah. for the nation, a bit more respectful to the players. But he's chosen to do it this way, and and like you've seen, uh, the players obviously wouldn't be too impressed with it, and you know that that kind of thing it hurts. You know, you've 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 sweat blood and tears for your for your country, and and you're proud, and then to just all of a sudden being switched off like that, I think it'll hurt him. So we're talking in this instance, Jerome Boateng, Mats Hummels, and Thomas Muller, but um, I feel like you might be speaking from a bit of experience there, Luke. Yeah, look, I um, I think I'm still not officially retired. <laughs> no, look, it uh, it, hap- it happens. It's it's the way it is, and you know, people react differently. Um, you know, you can't play forever. Everyone knows that, especially at international level. You're going to have the the youth are going to come through, and they need to have that opportunity to come and and to take take it on. Um, so look, but I just I just do feel that there's a way and a respectful way about it. You know, I look back in the time, I know Arnie, the likes of Popper and. And that got, Kalach got to have a nice little send-off. You know, you can give him one more game. You know, you look at Timmy Cahill, he got his one more game. Uh, some other ways are a little bit more harsh. It's They obviously need to rebuild. There's no doubt about that. And there's only three members of the 2014 World Cup winning squad now in the German squad. But the fact that they were summarily sacked, no chance of ever getting picked, that's almost the harshest part of it. It's one thing to say, I'm going to drop you, but it's to say, I'm actually ending your careers right now to legends that's probably the, the most controversial part of it isn't it yeah it is it is it's it's tough you can't just i understand that they're in a transition mode and and all that and like i said there's a there's a better way around it than just to say that's it you're done would you like to retire officially now yes okay <laughs> <laughs> but is that um is that not the price when you're an absolute big dog like germany is that not the price fairly or unfairly of failure like spectacular failure which is what occurred last year and we know that in the past they've not been afraid to really sacrifice major tournaments for us for a cycle maybe a four-year cycle to seriously rebuild and get the job done which they've done in the past yeah, look, I think I think he's under pressure too low, um, and I guess he's shown that he's a boss. And that's that's how it is. That's how it's going to be. That's it. Bang! This is how I'm doing it. And you know, there's no if buts or maybe's. And obviously, he doesn't really give two hoots about the players' feelings. Yeah, well, it's massive for him because they, in a way, you could say they they let him down. He's the one that's kept his job. It's so rare to see a manager like that go through such a failure and keep his job. But he's talked about the way he's going to rebuild the team. With he wants them to play faster, more efficiency in attack but he's not going to drop this possession style that didn't work in the Nations League. It didn't work in the World Cup. This, How long do you give him? And they've got the Netherlands as one of their first two games in qualifiers before the guillotine goes if things don't improve. Because their, their trajectory was down, down, down during the Nations League. Well, I think the fact that he's still there probably says a great deal about how much patience there is for him specifically or maybe how unwilling they are to pull the trigger on him because they had a couple of great opportunities. I mean, after the World Cup, that could have been a great line in the sand moment. So too after the Nations League, but they've decided to stick with him. I think the big saviour for Love is the fact that there's so many young players coming through, so much ability. We saw Serge Gnabry, who's been established in the German team over the past sort of year or so, certainly since the World Cup. He was unbelievable in a losing side for Bayern Munich against Liverpool, but you've also got some other good players coming through. Kai Havertz is one, Julian Brandt. They've got young players to replace the older guard. I think if they don't get it right in the next 12 months, that would be the point where he goes because they'll give him the chance now to bring the young guys in, prove that his style of football can still work when, you know, possession no longer is king in football, is it? It's more about transition. So if they... If it gets to a point where it's not working with a younger group of players, he has to go. To the, the, the sign of how deep the clear-out has been is Leroy Sana, who famously didn't get a spot at the World Cup, is one of their most experienced players now. There's 10, I think, with 10 or less caps. So it, I can't wait to watch them. They're playing, as I said, one of the games is the Netherlands. Do you think any of that, uh, that um, Ajax... I, 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 I'm 
sweating my jays at the moment, guys. <laughs> Any of that Ajax magic can translate to the international scene. The signs were good in the Nations League as well. The signs have been great. They're um they got they've always been renowned for for bringing through talent, young talent, and and they're stepping up. And you look at the sort of performance that they've produced. Um, the young kids at Ajax and stepping up now into the national team. I think Netherlands are one, and I think over the last few months, even with the national team or going back, they've really improved and gone on after not qualifying. I wonder whether it's a bit of you know, one hand feeds the other a bit. I think the success they had in the Nations League probably created a bit more confidence at Ajax. Ajax who have been great in patches. They're still not leading the league, so they haven't been great all season long. But, you know, remember in the Nations League under Koeman, they had great results against Germany in a really tough group with France as well. They came through that. They topped that group because of the younger players. So obviously the club form is one side, but also the fact that they've been given that licence in that national jersey has created confidence going the other way as well. And how exciting is that to see the Dutch back? I think most people want to yeah, see the brilliant. Netherlands doing really well and playing great football and, and hitting back from, uh, responding from there I guess what didn't happen for them um, World Cup wise, uh, just to see them back and flying and like you say Ajax, they were just sensational in the Champions League so it's it's all positive there. Yeah, now We'll talk about that a bit later on with, with Ajax but yeah they're very they're a team to watch. As are the World Champions France, my favourite story from all the squad announcement is N'Golo Kante. What a conscientious man turning up. I don't know what's funny. Just 12 hours after Chelsea lost to Everton or six hours early for training at, at, at France's headquarters. And I'm curious to see how he goes going back to his natural position too after the struggles at Chelsea. Um, but also just with France to see what they kind of what they unleashed with Didier Deschamps because they were so successful but so pragmatic at the World Cup and and he even admitted that world champions and France itself have, have always struggled during qualifying so that'll be interesting to watch too well going back to what you say about Kante maybe he just couldn't wait to get back in the fold and out of the Chelsea fold for a start but the funny thing is some of his teammates have laughed about this and said he gets fined the most for being late the most at Chelsea but he turns up flushes a big smile and all is forgiven I can't believe that he'd be late <laughs> the, the, the troublemaking is the last thing I would expect from N'Golo Kante but I guess the smile can charm anyone so Big week coming up. It all kicks off on Thursday, actually, with a friendly between Germany and Serbia. And then full suite of games coming up. But the headline on each day is Belgium versus Russia on Friday, England versus Czech Republic on Saturday, Spain versus Norway on Sunday, Netherlands and Germany, as we mentioned on Monday, Montenegro versus England, Switzerland versus Denmark. Rich, you're going to get some sleep before a big six days? Yeah, pretty much never do. Always go to bed uh, excited about what's coming our way. And I think, you know, it's really interesting to get qualifying underway because of the fact you mentioned a lot of the, the squads have named younger players and there's an opportunity. It, it does seem like a lot of the matchups aren't particularly even at this stage, but it's also where some of the second and third tier nations can actually announce themselves. If they want to make it to a European Championship, there's two opportunities now. One is through qualifying and the other, of course, is the Nations League. And I think that's given a lot of confidence to some nations that wouldn't otherwise have a chance. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do against, as you say, some experimental couple of sides. But I'm just looking at the French side right now. It's scary how long they are going to be good for yeah. because they're young. They've named almost a, a completely, you know, number one outfit, I suppose, squad-wise. They haven't really experimented too much. They're going to be around for a long time. So the big guns will still be fantastic. But, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how the other nations go. Anthony Martial pulled out with injury, but still no Lacazette, no Americo Laporte. Oh, to be spoilt with that choice. Unbelievable stuff. Rightio, then give us an answer. In other words, finish this sentence. Australia's bid to host the FIFA Women's World Cup in 2023 is... Exciting. 
It's going to be extremely difficult. There's a record nine bids this time round. Obviously, fingers crossed for the Aussies. We need to get, uh, as has been spoken about, we need to get Asia on side, which if you listen to different people, there are varying opinions as to just how well Australia is received. Of course, South Korea's put in a bid. We know apparently FIFA went to South Korea and said, would you consider North Korea? And obviously FIFA now does the human rights evaluations as well. So that's it's just all very confusing, isn't it? And we just um, we wish Australia... Well, we hope hope that it's us, but it's going to be tough. Surely if FIFA are the ones to suggest North Korea, yep. they've made their mind up. <laughs> yeah, well, but the human rights evaluation is like, – I'm just I'm – just Do they have one? Who? A human rights evaluation? Do F- FIFA do that? Apparently that's been brought in. Go figure. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it'll be um, one for world peace, won't it? Yeah, you kind of feel like FIFA with their – the way they wanted to take one to the Middle East and they gave that to Qatar and you'd think – Doing a unified Korea World Cup would be the next frontier for them to conquer. So, look, it would be brilliant for the it would be brilliant for Australia to do it. It would be brilliant, and we'd put on a brilliant show as well. You just fear that in this matrix of politics and all that, you can see the list of teams, uh, countries: Argentina, Australia, Bolivia, Brazil, Colombia, Japan. We spoke about the Koreas, New Zealand, and South Africa. It's a minefield to get through, and a lot of politics to wade through at the same time. Dave, with the time difference as well, with the might of the US and Canada, and obviously Europe and women's football coming along as it has. Yeah, like it or not, they don't necessarily want to get up at the times that they'll have to if it's here. Yeah, and as a side note, with Australia needing to win over the Asian heart and mind of that vote too, that's in the in the back the backfield of all the the Sheikh Salman's re election and that kind of thing. So it's just a complicated relationship where this sees us come out of it. Time will tell. You just put us in the bottom of that bid by that, mate. <laughs> Finish that. <laughs> just quietly though. By the way, how. Cool was that crowd at the Atletico game on the weekend that Optusport had a crew at. Just amazing, amazing scenes. Yeah, we had a crew there filming a behind-the-scenes kind of feature on you know the most attended women's football match, club match in history between Atletico and Barcelona. And fantastic. I mean, we saw Alex Chidiak, the Matildas player. She was on the bench. She didn't get on, sadly, but she's had a good season. And, yeah, the way that the game has moved, moved forward in such a short space of time going into the World Cup – Unbelievable, and the pictures to come out of it as well are really impressive. We've had a bit of a look, and keep an eye out for that one. Yeah, that'll be that'll be special stuff. All right, Manchester City's chances of now pulling off the quadruple after making the FA Cup final four, where it's City versus Brighton and Watford versus Wolves, is excellent, very good. I mean, you look at the running they've had in the Champions League. City probably have been the luckiest of all the big guns in the Champions League when you look at their draw. I mean, even now getting Tottenham, no offence to any Spurs fans, but Tottenham would be in the weaker of the eight remaining teams, you would say, in the week of four. And certainly in the FA Cup, they haven't really had any challenges at all. They'll look at the final four. Of course, they play Brighton in the semis. Then they'll play either Wolves or Watford if they do beat the Seagulls. And there's nothing to really scare them there. I actually think Wolves could be a, a really good test for them. But Watford, I think they've, they haven't lost to Watford in something like 15 or 16 matches. So it could be a bit of a, a cakewalk in the FA Cup. They've already won the League Cup and they are still favourites in the league. And Dave, you mentioned earlier, no side has ever come this far. Sort of searching it live, for, yeah. Yeah, for the quadruple. I mean, trebles are so hard to come by. Only seven sides in history across Europe have won the treble, which is amazing when you, when you think of how one-sided some of those leagues are. So for them to even be this close to four is remarkable. They'll be going down in immortality if they if they win this. And the scary thing is, is the shot is right alive. Just on Wolves, um, they've got a really good record against the top six clubs and, and Chelsea suffered against them. They've done well to get here. Are they the 
biggest chance to knock on that door? You guys have let me know a couple of times that Chelsea are a top six club, not a top four club now. Are Wolves the best chance of knocking one of those off? Yeah, I think they are. If you if you looked at their form, and especially like I say against the, the the big clubs, you look they've just beaten Manchester United to to get into the semi finals of the FA Cup. I think they are. I mean, you, you go touch back on the final or the possible final. Um, should they get get past Watford uh, to get City? I think I think it'll be a challenge for City, but they're too strong. I think you look at the table. Um, obviously, Wolves are, are the ones there just behind, or you, you can't even say just behind. They're still still quite a way behind Chelsea in sixth. But making strides, extraordinary actually, as a, as a promoter club, and and the the considered investment and the the strategic way they're building that is they're a club with a plan, and that makes you probably look over your shoulder a little bit more than you would otherwise as a, as a one hit wonder. Justifiably so, they're definitely uh, on the march, and there's expectation. Investment's the big one. They're, that plan is definitely there to be a serious contender in the next few years, and the expectation has certainly risen uh, around town too. Yeah, if you've got Matinho. Wow, Matinho was the headline. I love that headline uh, after the weekend. And Ruben Neves, you got something special going. I think the only club that could probably lay claim to that is Everton. It's probably a boring answer because Everton have been knocking on that door for so long. But they're about to get to a point where financially they're going to be up against it because they're building a new stadium down in the water in Liverpool. It looks fantastic. It will be great for the club. But all of a sudden they'll be in a situation probably like Tottenham and Arsenal where you wonder whether they can actually have the spending power to trouble the big boys. So the way Wolves have set themselves up, if they can back it up next season with another sim- another one similar to this, you'd have to say they'll be the closest. And frustrating times at Everton at home going into the weekend win against Chelsea. I don't think anyone was more shocked than their home supporters because when they trudged off at nil all, they were giving it to a team that they didn't know what they actually represented. Well, it's good you beat Chelsea, put two goals past them, and then things get back on the straight and narrow. Matt Ryan and Aaron Moyes' Premier League futures, if you're looking down the crystal ball, are at... Yeah, I guess um, challenging times. I think, uh, obviously, I think more likely than not, Aaron Moy is going to be going down uh, with Huddersfield. But in saying that, I think that he's he's done enough in his couple of years in the Premier League to to justify a move back to a Premier League club. I think should they go down, well, given they're probably going to go down, aren't they, Huddersfield? I think Matty Ryan, <laughs> the season he's had in the form that he's in, there's there's no doubt that should Brighton slip down, then he definitely would have somewhere to go. I think anywhere in Europe, the sort of form that he's been in. Huddersfield could go down in the next match as well. It seems a matter of time. Who do you think would pick up Moy? Mate, it couldn't be anything more than a mid, mid-table mid team. You know, we spoke about this, the likes of maybe Newcastle, Norwich. Um, in saying that, though, Huddersfield may not want to let him go. I think uh, given the sort of money they've invested in him and spent on him, whether they could get that return back on him after this season, I'm not sure, or where they'd want to keep hold of him to try and get themselves promoted straight back up the following year. It's funny, he doesn't necessarily get huge rave, rave flashy reviews, but you know, even that, that defeat against uh, West Ham West Ham and the fans were talking a lot about him. He certainly catches the eye. Um, so, yeah, it, maybe there's interest from West Ham as well. Just it'd be good to see him stay up there, yeah. obviously. And Matty Ryan, what a highlights reel this season. Oh, what a fabulous performance on the weekend. Yeah. And heroic scenes. He's gone from penalty, n- not getting any penalty saves in his career, to now doing it for the Socceroos, doing it for his club. And there's been whispers. He's always been linked to some of those big clubs. Do you think that's something that's, that's feasible for him? Yeah, I think so. I, I think the, the sort of form he's been in, I think he could play at, at maybe not a top top four or five club, but I think anywhere else. And, you know, not just if you look at the Premier League, I think if you went looked at the likes of Spain and, and elsewhere, I think you could see him maybe potentially go to some bigger clubs. Do you think he could play at Arsenal? I think, you know, Czech is probably on borrowed time there and, and Leno hasn't been fantastic this season and the way Emery wants to play. You would think someone like a Ryan, if his distribution is up to it, would suit that style of play. Is he that good, Luke? 
oh, I think he's he's up there. He's one of the, he's one of the best keepers in the Premier League for me. I think the sort of form. I think the only thing people would say is obviously his size. Um, that can question about it. Um, but I mean, his shot stop and his distribution, and, and if you look at maybe somewhere like Arsenal where they like to play, um, you, know, you look at all the, the best goalkeepers at the moment. You know, um, all with their feet, you've got to have that quality and be able to play. And a lot of the modern day coaches, managers want their goalkeeper to play with their feet. Yeah, it's funny, Dave. You talk about the um, the shots, the p- taking penalties because the Mariners I have spoken about, you know, like Phil Moss and John Crawley saying that was the one thing we wanted him to work on um, penalties and the way he's improved. And um, a couple of years ago, I saw. Um, Gary Neville and I spoke to him about Matty Ryan and he just you know he really liked him and he just said I've never seen a player more hard on himself um, after any sort of performance so he just he beats himself up and and but he's really come good and he works so so hard to get where he where he is. That's so interesting what you say about what Gary Neville said because I remember doing a, a long interview with Matt when he was at Valencia and he wasn't playing no one was paying attention mm-hmm. to him and we had a long chat on the phone and I've never heard someone in an interview almost just criticise themselves the whole way through. It was after he copped, I think, seven or eight for Barcelona and he was talking about how when the fifth one was going in, he was still thinking about the second one and the third one and now they just kept coming and how he had to learn from that. So that's so interesting what you say about yeah. what Gary Neville said because you could almost hear Matt wearing that himself and hasn't he just moved on? It's just brilliant. Well, I don't think he's the only goalkeeper to have felt like that against Barcelona and Paul <laughs> Lopez at the weekend. I think he's probably feeling the same right now. We will certainly get to that in a second. Charging Cristiano Ronaldo for his cojones celebration. Did I get the J right there? I don't know. I've lost all confidence in the J. Uh, Spell <laughs> it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tell them how you spelt it. It's correct. Cojones. C-O-J-O-N-E-S. That celebration is... Fantastic. I mean, I think it I think it shows a lot about Cristiano Ronaldo and the way he thinks, the way he carried on after the first leg in Madrid and then obviously then when Juve had that fantastic win in the second leg. Does make it all about himself. He made it that way in the first leg, you know, even when things weren't going his way, holding up the five fingers to signify the five Champions Leagues he's won when Atletico had won none and then obviously reacting to Diego Simeone. I think you take that all out of the equation. I mean, obviously there is a fair bit of context to the celebration, but I think if you just take it, as what it is, just enjoy it. I mean, it's a player, you know, showing emotion, obviously having a dig at someone else. He was enjoying the moment, and so he should. He just scored a hat-trick in, on a, again on the greatest stage in and the Champions League. He was League. a man on a mission, wasn't he, that night? Oh, yeah. Theatre. Theatre. I love it. Just like, enjoy the celebration. Yeah, all, part, yes. all part of the circus. We absolutely love it. Who is the winner, or the winner in... The Kevin Musket versus Graham Arnold debate in the A-League versus Oli Roos selection conundrum is... Do I have to pick one or the other? Can I just say nobody? I think that's probably a fair statement of the, the, the circle we're going around, isn't it? It is a, a vicious cycle, isn't it? Because what do you do? They've both got fair points. Arnie would it can relate to what, what Kevin's talking about over the years. We've all heard this debate. What's the solution? Well, it's only going to get worse if we... Hopefully we do get through um, to the last qualification stage, but that means most of January these players are out. So it was, what, 16 of 24 of the squad pulled out... And three major, that's like 
I think three key players from the likes of Newcastle, Wanderers, Victory, when they're in the middle of either trying to make their top six or genuine contenders for, you know, up top. So it's a hard one. They're at, Muskie and Arnie, they're never afraid of, of going at each other or, or voicing their opinions. But it, it's a really hard one. It's a long-winded one. Do we... Do we postpone certain matches when you can see that ahead of time? FFA would be nice if there was the scope to do that. Muskie's been very strong on his words, you know, brings the league into disrepute, that kind of thing. It's just a, a hard one. I think it's, it is. It's a tough one. It's it's never nice to, to lose players. Everyone understands that. But if you look at the A-League at the moment, you've got the, pretty much the playoffs are all wrapped up. You've got that, that top six. And then you've got um, Perth Glory, who look like they've run away with the, the Premiers. So... So we're missing them now. I think it, should they miss the playoffs? I think maybe it, it'll be a bit more of a debate. Everyone's got an opinion on what is more important, but what is is a player worse off leaving men's senior football to go train in an underage camp, or is it equally as important for their development? I think it's equally as important. It's still you're still representing your your country, whatever level it is, and and that's an experience for these players to go away to those countries and experience a different kind of football, a different environment. Um, so in terms of their development as well going forward, I think it's important. We, we can't afford to keep failing at youth level, can we? We can't. We, and, you know, players need that exposure. They need to go and understand that. If you just keep them hit, sitting here in Australia playing in the A-League, they're not going to have that exposure. So then should they go further and go into the national full national team environment, they wouldn't be used to it. Look, Graham Arnold spoke about how AJ has even kicked on since he was last with the Oli Roos. Ante Milicic, Matilda's coach, has been involved with the men's setup. said, our underage programs, they're not serious programs. They're not designed for qualification. Simple as that. You look at who's hitting, who's with the China under-23s, playing plenty of games. South Korea played plenty of games. I appreciate what Muskie's saying, but surely to take this competition seriously and give Australia the best chance, we can't rock up with three or four days preparation. It, we've seen that we will not cope. And we talked at the top of the show about England going into, obviously, the qualifiers with a good young team that even though they haven't got the experience at that senior level, they've got it in club football. And more importantly, they've got it coming up through the junior system. They've won trophies. England are in a great position because of what they've done in the junior levels. So if you skip that and you just rely on professional football, you are never going to be prepared having not gone through the development steps. We've got bigger problems than just saying one or the other. I think, you know, the structure is, as Ante Milicic has said, needs a massive overhaul and we're in for a really troubled sort of 10, 12, 16 years if we don't get, you know, some changes happening soon. But it is so crucial to success in senior football. And England, I think that started, the excitement started when they won the under-17s in India. Um, But as you say, all these things that are needed... There are so many things that are needed. So where do you even start with all the things that are needed? It's chicken and egg. You yeah, almost exactly. have to, you know, just wipe the slate clean and start again. It's a big, it's a, it is a much bigger conversation when we could get stuck on for hours. But the thing here is, yeah, it's that respect of where the competition is, the time you have to invest to actually get the team right and giving them every opportunity to be ready for that for that moment. And I think, as I said, I sympathise with, with Musket and Arnie was in Muskie's yes. shoes two years ago. But I think he's absolutely entitled to have the players here to make sure that we're in this best position possible to finally get back to the Olympics, which we haven't been to for, for over a decade by the time the next ones roll around. Moving on, Zizou's first team sheet was? Well, I think if you look at it before the season, you'd say his team sheet was the strongest on paper, but so much water has gone under the bridge, obviously, since Zidane left to Real Madrid, and then Lopetegui came in, and then Solari came in, and they went out of the Champions League, they're not going to win the Cup, they're not going to win the league, so on paper, while it might have been the strongest team six months ago, now, you look at it and say, well, that's a statement. It was a statement from Zidane, because he's changed a goalkeeper, Kayla Navas has come in over the big signing Courtois, in comes Marcelo, who 
even though he's only 29, he's seen as someone that's on his way out. He's brought in Gareth Bale. He's brought in Isco, who's been in trouble off the pitch and also really inconsistent the last couple of years. And they've got the result because the two goal scorers were Isco and Gareth Bale. So he's come in there and made a statement. There's no doubt about that. There's a lot of work that will happen in the offseason at Real Madrid, but Zinedine Zidane's walked in and gone, I'm the big dog. This is mine. This is my team. I think it was three changes from the Champions League from his starting 11 on that one as well, which is interesting. But you mentioned Bale. What statement does that make regarding Bale? Because we know they had their own issues, but then he brings him in. Yeah, I think uh, I think what's happened though is a lot of players were unavailable for Zidane. So I don't know if he had too many options. I don't know whether Bale is as much a statement as say like a Marcelo or an Isco, Isco is. is yeah. um, but I think the writing's on the wall for Bale regardless. He he has to leave. You know, and the one thing I don't understand about the Bale discussion, everybody says, well, he can't leave because he's on six hundred and fifty thousand a week, and no one else will pay that. Do you need to get paid that? If you're Gareth Bale, <laughs> do you honestly need to get paid that? You've, you've had such a, a big earn at Real Madrid over the past few years. You've earned enough. Your family's all good unless you've thrown the money away all the time. But I think, you know, he can probably now at this stage of his career go, right, I'll take 350. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll take half and I'll, I'll move somewhere to get first team football. It's status, isn't it? It's like I've got to be on this spot on the, on the pecking order, isn't it? Does that really exist or is that just a media beat up? No, I think it, it it does exist. I think um, some people are like that. Not all, you know. Footballers are all different. Some, like say, I agree with Rich. There, you've you've had your earnings. You've done that. You know, there comes a time. I, well, personally, you, everyone has to have your earnings, and once you've done that, then you can sort of pick and choose where you want to go and why you want to go. Whether it's for lifestyle, whether it's for football, or whether you just sit there and keep taking your money like people do. What's well, always telling sign when your manager starts doing the media rounds and Bowles manager did a full appearance on the BBC with Guillaume Balag during the week, saying he wants to stay at Real Madrid. He's going to finish his career in Real Madrid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When your manager's out doing full interviews, you know you've got to read between the lines. Now, part of the power play for Zizou was the war chest that he's going to get. So, would you rather? Would you rather Maro Icardi, Karim Benzema, or Harry Kane up front next season for Real Madrid, if you're a Real Madrid fan? Harry Kane. I don't think it's... I don't... I mean, Benzema's been good at Real Madrid. He's been there for a long time. He's now an age striker. And, you know, the reliance on him now that Ronaldo is gone, it's too much. It's probably too much for anybody. I think out of those options, I think it's time to move Benzema on. I think Mario Cardi, I mean, you do not want Cardi anywhere near you because the circus that comes with him, it's not worth it. He's had a good record into Milan, but is he Real Madrid quality? I don't believe so. I don't think too many people would say he is. And also, I reckon anyone linking him to Real Madrid is from his own camp. So that leaves Harry Kane. Mrs. Wonder. Mrs. Wonder working wonders for her man, who is rumoured for a $130 million Aussie dollar move. So whether he's worth that, if they've got, I think it was something like £300 million or euros that were available to them, I wonder if you're going to spend that much on Icardi. All right, would you rather be a fan of Cardiff, Burnley or Southampton with two months to go? Definitely Southampton, I think. Um, looking at the running and... And going off form, I think Burnley on the, on the slide is, is in trouble and they've got a very tough run in, especially the last month. Um, so I definitely feel more comfortable being a Southampton supporter. Well, Southampton, their only real big test on paper remaining is at home to Liverpool, which you can probably say, all right, scrap that one. You won't get anything from it. But the other two teams, Cardiff and Burnley, get this. Well, they play each other and that's obviously going to be crucial. Cardiff have Chelsea, City, Liverpool, Manchester United. But Burnley have in their final four games Chelsea, City, Everton and Arsenal. So I feel like it'll probably, Dave, be decided before we get to the last month, won't it? Because of the fact that Cardiff have a really difficult run now. Even with the game in hand, though, you'd think that Cardiff probably have the slightly 
harder run. What's, what's Burnley's next four games? You've got them jotted down there? Wolves, Bournemouth, Cardiff, and then Chelsea. So they need to make hay. It's all on that. It's all on that. He said what? Jamie Redknapp writing about Manchester United, he asked, what are they waiting for? Are the clubs still to be convinced that Solskjaer is their man? The longer United wait, the greater the risk that the feel-good factor begins to fade. Champions League, here we come. But the Arsenal and the Wolves defeat, where does that balance out for a Manchester United fan? I don't think it's a given with Solskjaer. They, commentators love saying that feel-good factor, that feel-good factor. You hear it heaps in uh, in commentary, I think, anyway. Um I just think there's a lot more to prove. I think clearly the, the players are on board and it said maybe more about Jose Mourinho and the fact that they didn't want to play for him. Someone comes in, obviously they really like Solskjaer, they love Solskjaer, they want to play for someone like him. Uh, players feeling a little bit more comfortable, but uh, you know, there's still a lot to prove. In terms of Champions League, it's going to, yes, what happened against PSG was magnificent for a United fan, but you know, they didn't play brilliantly, for example, and Obviously, we've started now um, FA Cup that that's over as well. So I don't see what the rush is with people saying sign him now, lock him in, now, lock him in. Wait till the season's finished. And maybe I'm wrong, but if you're if, if there's the argument that the players they might start to lose their that's rubbish. That maybe we're just saying to see what a squad of that caliber should be doing and should have been doing. You know, the last couple of years when it was an absolute mess. We all sat on the couch after the the, the PSG win and said, give him the contract now. Gary Neville said that directly to him. How much do you want to that's earn? An ocean, though, were you thinking? It? Were you thinking? that at the time too I'm still not I'm still not convinced before Arsenal and Wolves well, you, you, you get excited of course you get excited about the result of course like going on to face Barcelona um, but no that was a spectacular moment wasn't it um, but uh, yeah, with, with Solskjaer I just think there's still uh, no disrespect to him who's done incredible things and clearly got the the team on side but I say again I think it was also to do with they did not want to play for Jose they could have played they just didn't bring their best at all, which is n- not great. But for Solskjaer, he's done amazing things. But tactically, he's still got a lot to prove, I think. Jesus, <laughs> you're a bit harsh. Who am I to say I that? You're a bit harsh. Yeah, but this is, this is a I fan right. The contract. No, because he got it. Well, I'm not saying he shouldn't get it. I, I fully expect him to be signed. I think it would be brilliant, you know, if he is. But I don't see with people saying, do it now. What are you waiting for? I think, well, can we just relax? Can we get the job done first? Because this top, can we get top four first? You know, I'm not saying he doesn't get it if he doesn't get top four, but I don't see the hurry to sidetrack with locking him in right now. He's not going anywhere, is he? What about what Zlatan said? Zlatan overnight was saying the, the class of 92 and all United fans are just worried about going back to Ferguson, always going back to Ferguson. It's time to move on for Ferguson. Well, that's essentially what hiring Solskjaer would be. Do you, do you like that throwback to the old era and the values that has? Or do you think it is time to, to, to cut clean in a way, even though doing that suffered with Van Gaal, Mourinho and Moyes? No, because maybe it's something that, well, not maybe, it is something that Man United is built on and, and nostalgia is a huge thing for people in life in general, sport in general. So, you know, Ferguson, there, there is a need to move on to a point, but Solskjaer, I don't know. I just think that as a fan, you love it. You love the link back. You love the familiar faces as well, especially because it's doing the job. It's not token. He's obviously come in and there are results. Um, but with Zlatan, Zlatan, Zlatan. <laughs> Who's going to come off the, the bench? Spotlight. Who's going to come up for the bench at United and score in, in stoppage time at the Cap Nou? Huh? You just—it's <laughs> written in the stars. Mike Phelan. <laughs> <laughs> well, he'll be in Gosford, won't he? He's in Gosford. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Speaking of the Champions League, here's a spot one. How many Premier League sides will be in the semi-finals? At least one. Well, that—that's really good maths. That's that's really well <laughs> yep. done. 
I think two. I, I think Manchester United have an almighty challenge. It's probably the one I'm looking forward to the most, yeah. Barcelona and Manchester United. Because, Mel, it's where they should be. It feels like that yep. is where Manchester United should be. Football-wise, they're in for a tough one. Obviously, Liverpool got probably the favourites, the, the best draw, the most favourable draw against Porto. Porto will be tough away from home, but Liverpool should get through. And then City and Tottenham, obviously, I think City will do the job. So let's say two. What are we most looking forward to? I, I, the, the Juventus Ajax tie is just so tasty for me because of the Ronaldo story. Still a chance of, to go up against Barca in the next phase. But these young kids, this is their moment. They're all, all the fixtures are exciting. Obviously, for me, you know, for, if you're a fan of one of them, you're looking forward to that the most and a bit, well, very scared of that one as well. But all of them, United, Barca, Liverpool, as you said, Spurs City. Three games That's in the space of a That's very it. short space of time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Four teams we know from England for the first time in 10 years, but the first time ever a competition has had six teams alive at, in Europe at this point, which is actually phenomenal. What do you put that down to? Is it is it all the you know the lucrative money in the Premier League coming to the fore? Is it the coaching? Or why, why are they having this success this year? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, I think there could be many reasons why, that, why that's happening, but it's just been a great year for, for English football in general. But... Um, you know, when you've got the likes of Arsenal and Chelsea in the Europa League, you would expect them to be in the later stages, um, given that they should be or be expecting to be in the Champions League. So that's really no surprise, the fact that they're in the Europa League and to be in that stage. Um, I think Tottenham, you know, to, to be where they are has been phenomenal on the, you know, without spending money to some of the results to get through Dortmund. And, but I think Man City is going to knock them off. And let's face it, Arsenal and Chelsea could not have had an easier run in the Europa League. I mean, we talk about City's easy run in four competitions, but Chelsea have such a good run to the final where they could face an Arsenal or a Napoli. You know, they've been really fortunate. So Sarri's first major trophy probably should come in the Europa League. But also you look at the fact that, like you hinted at, Dave, the spending power in the, in the Champions, sorry, in the Premier League for this, these English clubs has caught up with them. This, this is, is the success you Yeah, expect. this is the moment. This is, and, and the coaching, all the biggest coaches go in there at the moment. What about the idea, Luke, like you say, it's been great, a great time for English football, but just on that, how many Englishmen are in the starting 11 at the moment and in terms of there's such an international flavour to the Premier League now, like more and more, which, you know, it's the most exciting league. We know the biggest league, blah, blah. We, we all know that and the squads are stacked with megastars, but the stats are something like, I think in December it was an all-time he could correct me on this stat, it was like an all-time low in terms of English starting 11 or something like 25% and then at the moment it's like 35, 34, something like that. So is that a factor to why they're so successful? I'm not saying because there are so few Englishmen, but I mean because it's so international now, like more than ever. Yeah, it is. It's always been very international and and that's why the Premier League is what it is and the the sort of finances draw the best players. Um, But when you look at that and you say there's less Englishmen in the starting 11, but you look at the national team and their results. Yeah. That's improved over the years, so yeah, you can look it's at it mix. different ways. It's yeah. a mix. You get yeah. they've obviously got the quality of the English players that are there, and you look at the likes, even the young ones coming through in someone like Chelsea, which is renowned for buying players and having a lot of foreigners. And there's a lot of talent there in Loftus Cheek, Hudson Odoi. Um, so there is English players there. Hate to say it, they're in a decent spot at the moment because despite not many English players being there, the ones that are younger are getting farmed out and getting a game. Draw gods, I love them because you can get either Chelsea, Arsenal or Surrey versus Napoli in the final. You've got potentially Liverpool against Manchester United. You've potentially got Manchester United versus Liverpool rematch. You've potentially got Bas- um, Messi against Ronaldo. It's all to play for still. Oh, here's a good yarn. And speaking of the great man... 
just have a listen to this. And this isn't the Barcelona faithful after Messi's third goal on the weekend. It's the real Betis faithful. Yeah, I think a big part of that celebration was not only the fact that he scored another hat-trick, his 51st for Barcelona, but also the fact that the third goal was out of this world. And the first time I watched it, the, the thing that I couldn't get over, Luke, was how he saw that was possible. Did he see the goalkeeper, Paul Lopez, was ever so slightly off his line, do you think? Or did he just hit it knowing that if I hit this perfectly, there's no goalkeeper in the world that will be able to stop it? Even though physically, the... It just absolutely boggles. I've got a sore head thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's phenomenal, and, and with someone with his quality, I'm sure that it could be both that he that he did see that he's off his line, and the fact that the angle and the way the ball was come because you see the way he's hit the ball. Um, he knew exactly what he was doing, and that was just a, a different level. And so, someone, you know, that's, that's something maybe you'll you'll do at training when you're joking around with the boys, and you'll, you'll you'll have a go at it. But for him to have that quality and to take that on like he does, that's just yeah, it's just Messi, isn't it? The thing about Messi is like, actually there's nothing else you can say here that adds any value to just basically give the chance to say how lucky we are to watch him and all that. But his hat tricks, each one of them, you go, that's he's the only one in the world that could score that hat trick. He did it against Sevilla a couple of weekends ago. He did it here, and it's just to die for. He's phenomenal. He's <laughs> for me, he's the best player on the planet. He's um, you know, to watch the way he moves with the ball, the the sort of vision he has and to score goals uh, the way he does. I mean, you look at Ronaldo and you say, great, and he's he's a beast, he's powerful, and he's worked on everything he's got. Messi's just so fluent and natural. It's, it's They're not tap-ins, are they? They're not no, Messi's no, scrappy no. But Ronaldo, that is a, a nice side story of the battle between those two. There's no doubt there's they're huge motivation for each other. Yeah, they are. They are. And, you know, I think they, they often – deny it and you know you look at Messi was applauded and Ronaldo which was which was great about his his feet um, with Juventus but you look at the kind of goals they score and they're just different they're just different kind of goals they're different players and for me that Messi's just got his goals are class he's just he's just class did you ever have a player you were playing against where you just went got to got to applaud that I can't I can't do anything about that yeah I um you know there's there's been a few like I said I had this Misimovic and a lot of people didn't know him Bosnian player and I played with him in Dinamo and he uh it was a, f- a funny story actually with him he went from Wolfsburg big and Tagala fell out there um come to Dinamo and he actually arrived and Kevin Karani at the time and he took his shirt off and he's going mate we're not a 10-pin bowling team because he was a little bit chubby <laughs> <laughs> and and honestly and 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 at first going oh look at this guy but he just could not get the ball off him and he would be one like a similar like Messi not that level but would chip a goalkeeper from five yards out and do things that you just couldn't imagine Amazing stuff. And um, thankfully, with the debate going on, we've now, Bridgie knows what the GOAT debate is all about because each week it goes, <laughs> to, it goes to another level. So I'm glad we clarified that for him in the last episode of the show. Another one, Scotland captain Andy Robertson, he is not with his team on their trip to Kazakhstan at the moment because he has had to get an operation on an abscess in his mouth. Ouch. But he's even considering paying his own way to go over and meet them, such as his devotion to the side. Um, I just got asked from this, the most random, long-winded, obscure travel journey you've had to take on your career to play for the Socceroos and landed. Uh, Kazakhstan's pretty far flung. Where, where, where did you have to go? Oh, Kazakhstan, look, um, geez, there's not many places that I haven't been and with the Socceroos, obviously, through the likes of Kuwait and all the rest of it. But I think the the strangest one that I went to was, was actually 
my early days at Middlesbrough, an end of season trip to Libya. Do uh, tell. Yeah. Friendly game with uh, with Gaza and the, the young kids. We were uh, well, the young ones got dragged along to that trip to Libya and to play against Gaddafi's son, which was a very interesting trip. The Colonel, Colonel. So uh, yeah, it was it was phenomenal. It was a it was a very very odd trip. Um, unfortunately, I was so young and wanted to make my way. I didn't have have any um any excuses not to go. So I got dragged along. Got paid absolutely nothing for it. And um yeah, I got through. Thankfully, I'm still alive. <laughs> but were you guys packing it? Like, were you? Did you see some things across as your journey? We're like, what are we doing here? Yeah, well, like I said, they, were, they paid their, their millions of dollars, Gaddafi, to, to Middlesbrough and to Brian Robson, the coach at the time, and to Paul Gascoigne and, and the rest of us young kids just had to, had to go up to make the numbers and obviously go on to, to see where the, the Americans had bombed uh, Gaddafi's place and for Gaza to sign the, the little book there and still see the shells and things around was, was pretty daunting. Isn't that the ultimate sign of, of wealth when you can fly football players into play? Because Pablo Escobar used to do that as well. He'd fly the Colombian national team players in via helicopter to come and play at his ranch for with his family just to entertain them. It's unbelievable. Yeah, at the end of the day, I guess, um, you know, when you got like that and money talks and that he, he made that contact in Gaza, obviously <laughs> was happy to go. Albeit, uh, you don't say no. No, albeit I think it was, it was only a couple of days and I, I don't think he was sober for all that time. Luke, what about the fans who travel, South Africa, the the World Cup? Uh, I was in Durban for with the Fanatics and just buses after buses left on for a 20-something-odd-hour bus ride through God knows where and we travelled for four hours before one of the guys who we were with said, are you going the right way? And the guy goes, oh, he looked up and goes, oh, no. Oh, are you from Durban? He goes, no, there's just a sign that says Durban and we've been driving four hours away from Durban apparently. So the just ridiculous trip that the fans go on to watch the Socceroos. He was looking in his rear view mirror at the signs. I've seen Durban the whole way. Maybe, maybe he knew, sorry, Luke, maybe he knew what was about to happen and was trying to make one easy for us. Sorry, Luke. I was there that day. It was a long. It was a very late night, a long trip back. You guys in your in your media work have had any obscure, obscure trips? You must have had some long travels or to random places. Yeah, there are always a, a few random ones out there. I noticed, Dave, that after you and I did the Turkey Antalya trip last year pre World Cup with the Socceroos, it'll be on again. So we might have to sit down and work out who's going because, of course, the Matildas have gone back there and back there or are going back there before the World Cup. It was a pretty nice kind of resort town, so I'm not too shocked that uh, the FFA are sending a few well, over there. Again. I'm, I'm not too shocked Ante Milicic just scattered that because he, of course, was there with Bert Van Marwijk, and it's not a bad He's spot. Not stupid. Not a bad spot. I, I th- the most random one for me was last in San Pedro Sula after 36 or 40 hours, I think it was a travel, thinking I was going to land to like a, a Uruguay experience. And we got the warmest welcome in the world and everyone was just open arms and friendly and trying to change the whole world's perception of it. And you just think, there, yeah, the places football can take you. It's just, it, the world is a small place when that happens. Well, thanks guys for your time again. It's been a lot of fun as always. Rich, get some sleep before a big six days. Yeah, looking forward to it, Dave. We'll see you there. We'll certainly will. And Mel, Luke... Thanks for joining us. Been a lot of fun. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, mate. And for everyone out there, as always, until the next Gag and Pod, enjoy your football.